0: We don't have that much. Hello. Hello, John. Good to talk to you.
1: Uh, last I checked, my name was Ted.
0: Oh, Ted. Oh, uh, Ted. Great. You're able to join us. Good. Sorry. I don't know. To... You
1: called me. so uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah. I put this number to... in you know, for
1: your contact. So you called me and I answered it.
0: I appreciate your calling, your answering. We're kind of a little reunion with John McClements. Sweet. Hello, John. Hello. Hey, this time It is you. Yes. How Thank are you? We, we got that. the band back together. Yeah, yeah uh, to be be honest, power of technology I really to love,
1: draft tech. I posted your. I posted your comment. I mean, the, the one section that I excerpted on Facebook.
0: Oh, dude, you. It was so yeah. good. Oh, well, thank you.
1: I don't worry. <laughs> I didn't attribute it to you. I just took full credit for it. No, I, I, just, I posted it in a text stream.
2: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I don't mind being quoted out of context or in context. <laughs> <laughs> in context General. Generally. <laughs> How are you doing, Ted? Great. Good. Congratulations, happy birthday. A little belated.
1: Thank you very much. Oh, no, we celebrate birthdays all month. And if it's a 50th birthday, you get to celebrate that all year.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right, year of Jubilee, wow.
1: right? Jubilee year, <laughs> yep. So, you do have any debts you need forgiven? Lord, I <laughs> declare that all of John's debts are forgiven. Amen. I can
0: do the same.
2: Oh, Ernie, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, actually. It's been uh, uh, an interesting season, as it uh, has been for many of us. But uh, you know, we're literally wrapping up the season on The Great Reset, uh, season three. Uh, and so uh. Uh, it's been a, um, it's interesting. The, the goal was to try to figure out, uh, focus on what kind of systems would help us to learn the right things. Uh-huh. and what's interesting is it started out with this discussion of family about how we have all these systems of the modern world that tend to pull us out of our families and so i raised uh-huh. the question of what it would look like to reintegrate those systems around supporting families uh-huh. and that led to lots of discussions about is systems even the right word and uh, we tried a bunch of experiments which were great experiments none of them worked the way i thought they would but i learned a lot from uh-huh. it and we're going to have our season wrap up on Tuesday, and uh, we are may try and do something different. Maybe bring in someone to facilitate it. But to the topic of our call, yeah. So I, you know, we've been wrestling with systemic racism as part of these conversations, and you know, the issue uh, keeps coming up in different ways, and including the question of whether even racism and systemic racism is the right or most useful way of describing it.
2: Mhm.
0: So I was having trouble sleeping a couple nights ago, and I read a blog post about this new book called Cast, C A S T E.
2: Yeah, I've, uh, I've that Earth
0: was I... sending out to everybody. Yeah. And I read that, and it struck me because we've been having this discussion um, where I was talking with uh, my friend Eric Christensen, who's a missionary who joined the Great Reset, um, uh-huh. about colonialism. Yes. And how I have, you know, similar feelings about colonialism that our friend Steve does about racism. In that mm. he didn't exactly experience it directly any more than I mm-hmm. did, but my right. people did. And I have emotion about this.
2: Yes. yes. Uh,
0: and you That's know, really and, uh, and so the question is like what is this thing that you know, racism is almost too easy of a term. Mhm. Um. Uh, and so this word caste really struck me because it is primarily, it, it, it's stronger than class.
2: Uh-huh. It's not
0: quite as emotionally charged as the word racism is in uh-huh. the US, but Right, seems, in
2: the US, but in India it is.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, the book, I guess, signals out India, the US, and Nazi Germany, which is not a great company to be in. Uh-huh. But it's uh, there. But the, the, but here's the thing that really uh, hit me in the heart. At the the central engine powering cast is love of family. What to to be a cast is to say you want your children to enjoy all the same advantages you have. And that Mm -hmm. is the engine powering cast. And so I've been haunted by this ever since then. And it's like, wait, you know, this this happened to me last season too, by the way. We Mm -hmm. started out talking about education. And then at the end of it, I was convinced that actually, no, education is the problem, not the solution. (laughs) And I'll get into (laughs) that in a bit. But the same way here, it's like, okay, well the real problem is the civilization has torn apart the family and we need to put it back in the family. But then I realized, Cast is really about the idea that we have a certain life that we enjoy. Those of us who benefit from the system. Yes. Yeah. And we, it constrains us. There are downsides to it, but we accept it as our lot in life.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you know, we wouldn't mind moving up, but we, we'd be, we're horrified at the thought of moving down. Correct. And this phrase that's haunting to me is we want our children to have every advantage, right? Which is a natural, uh-huh. which we think of as a natural healthy thing, but wait a second, advantage against whom? Cause advantage always means doing better than someone else.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: Right. And it's like, Oh my God, that is the entire rat race. Our civilization is based upon is getting an advantage implicitly at someone else's expense Uh, and the critique uh in the book cast is that all of our systems all of our hierarchical systems assume that there's someone at the bottom right (laughs) and you know and it's not it would be so easy it would be so much easier if i could blame it on them On someone evil doing those things for bad motives. Uh But if if this is right, I've been trying to talk myself out of it, maybe you guys will help, (laughs) maybe you won't. Uh If I'm right, the problem isn't them, it's us. It's people like me who go to top schools, who send my children to expensive private Christian schools, who are always trying to seek out the best. And you know, the the phrase that you know the verse that I shared uh was first mm-hmm. Corinthians eleven nineteen. Right. Uh you know surely there must be divisions among you to show which of you has God's favor. Correct. And you know, I spent some time repenting on that on Tuesday, but it's still it's like, I mean in my darker moments I have a hard time saying is there anything we do as, Christ, as Christians collectively that is not about, you know, joining together, and say, well, we're the ones doing it right. Like even this. And it's like, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Paul meant that ironically, <laughs> right? That was like, he was in the point of criticizing the church for having division, but like, it's almost like we've taken that as a scriptural mandate. Go create divisions amongst you so you can show that you are the ones that have God's favor. I mean, pretty much every movement is kind of built around that. And it's like, crap, if this is this is what we've been doing, then this is us, right? Because, I mean, even church, even Sunday school, it's all about, well, you know, every Christian education program I've seen, I think virtually every leadership program I've seen is like, hey. This is us. We believe we're doing it right. We want to indoctrinate you to do it the way we're doing it because we are certain we have God's favor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, this was the picture that came to me over the last couple of days. And it's like, I don't like this. I don't even want to think about how the implications of this are. But it would explain uh, pardon the phrase a hell of a lot or a lot of the hell. hmm So I said, well, I'll ping John and see what he's hearing. And if he asks, I'll tell him. And if not, I'll go mm-hmm. my merry way. Okay. So you ask
2: mm-hmm. that's you and told me.
0: that's what that's what I've been hearing. Well, okay. And I'm hoping well, you can tell me I'm wrong.
2: Well, it's not so much that I think, I don't, I don't think it's that. I think that it's just, I, when you're talking to me, I was getting an insight on the, on kind of the. Okay. So kind of the, the nature of human race after the fall. I believe that before the human race, before the was, before sin entered before Adam and Eve disobeyed um, that there was there's some there was a there was a more um other centered <laughs> approach to other people and in other words, Adam and Eve not only thought about what pleased them but also about what pleased the other person with you know it, what was good for the other person in the, at the same degree that that they cared about themselves. And in other words, they weren't innately selfish. But when sin entered the world, selfishness came into the world. And selfishness has a couple of effects that I see. One is that it, if you're selfish, and the more selfish you are, the more you're concerned about getting what you want your way. At whatever cost to anyone else, and and I saw a picture almost in my mind of of what in in heaven the family in heaven the family. All right, so one of the things one of the things that the drives that I want to get whatever I want at whatever cost is the fear that I won't get what I want or have what I need. Um. And I can't trust anyone else to make sure that I get it. And in other words, I can't trust God. Am I making any sense at all?
0: Yeah, I think so. I'm. I'm. Well, I'm wrestling a bit with the terminology. um, the, um right. you, Because you know the the way that Westerners think about selfishness is thinking about, well, I'm just looking out for myself individually. Yes. But the the critique that I'm at is that, like, actually, you know, that's one kind of selfishness, but another kind is to say, "Well, I'm going to look out for me and mine."
2: Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's and, which, that's Which seems like a generous, theory.
0: altruistic act, but has the same failure modes, even if a little bit removed.
2: Right. Yeah. I think I think the I think the root of selfishness can be you know it you know you you explained it very clearly you know the 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 protestant church ever since ever since the uh the reformation has divided itself and subdivided itself and subdivided itself with each group thinking that it's got a closer you know closer approximation of the truth or the true church or whatever than than the catholic church did or than any other protestant group does that all comes out of a, the what I would call the self-centered mindset, or the self. Self-centered well, I would like be a little more
0: generous than that, right? I would say all of that is tainted by the self-centered mindset. But you know, the, okay. the reason, that, the other reason I react a little bit against the term selfishness is that the alternative is, well, I guess, you would call selflessness, right? But that is the Eastern pathology rather than the Western pathology. Right. To have no, you know, to be purely selfish is the Western pathology, but to be selfless is the Eastern pathology, to say, I have no responsibility for what (laughs) happens in my community because it's the community.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, and so. (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing about something that I'll try to explain to you in in a very short. So I, I just last week took a course on. The difference between accountability and responsibility. And uh and part of what you're talking about is yes, if the Eastern pathology is selflessness, I'm not concerned about anything or anybody because nothing matters or whatever. Um, yes, that, that could be true. But there is there's there there is something called maybe unselfishness. Maybe it's maybe I don't know what it's gonna be like. Earning to be on the other side, but I,
0: and I just, don't know whether, just to, just to give you a label, uh, the phrase I've been playing with is the word self-differentiation, where we, uh, or Christian or Christ-like self-differentiation, to what know who mean? we are, to know who the others are, and to go through this refining process of saying, all all the, the, the as a practical matter, all these thoughts in my head that run around, which of these are really me? And particularly, which of these are really the me Christ sees me as? The me that yeah. is like Jesus. Right. And right. that's really me. And these other things are the flesh, which could be from my past, could be from the communities I belong to, could be, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil. And... Because you know the thing about selfishness is the people who oppose selfishness, you know, you can get into selflessness because you say, well, don't focus on what you want, focus on what's best for the group, focus on what's the best for society, and those are useful tools for thinking, but they're equally dangerous ideologies.
2: Right. Yes. Yes, I I think I see what you you're know, saying.
0: And in a practical matter, and this Man. is something I, my personal, well, oh, sorry, Ted, go ahead.
1: Well, I mean, Jesus' philosophy is do not look out merely for your own personal interests, but also Correct. for the interests of others.
2: Exactly and right.
1: It says whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. And he talks about Jesus, like you know, preferring others is more important than yourself. So yes. there's the, yeah, you you have to. I mean, you you certainly have to not be an aesthetic in the sense of you know caring about others, but not allowing the Lord to love yourself. So yeah, that's a guard on it. But the the, the you know the the redemption, the truth, the way out is putting others before yourself, being like Jesus. Right, but I think,
0: yeah, and I think that the tension is, and this is one that I've lived, and I think most of you must have bumped into this too, is that when I try to do what I think God is telling me to do, I often get people saying, possibly accurately, don't put yourself forward like that. Am no. I the only one who gets that? Um,
1: no i i you get that either overtly or um inadvertently, and you gotta get over that you know
0: yeah i so I think I have to work through it rather than getting over it right because some of it is is you know just the voice of the resistance, but you see that's the thing right is that because we have this healthy aversion to selfishness uh we 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 tend to have these sort of immune responses to it. But, you know, the problem is, is that the groups, and this goes back to our discussion of caste, right? Every system has an immune system response to things that threaten the system. And because of this great reset we're on, like, we're very specifically trying to figure out what are the things that are wrong in our current system that are preventing the kingdom of God from being fully experienced. And... You know, there's a whole host of antibodies, most of them subconscious, that people have against against any attempts to question certain aspects of the system. And that's why it's really hard to know uh what is actually the truth, uh, and to even even for me to believe that the truth would really set us free. Mm. Mm. I right? mean, because you think about. So, 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 sorry.
2: Well, if well, let me just ask a question on that on that what you just said. So, um, if the truth is the person of Jesus, do you not think that knowing Jesus will and knowing Jesus better will help to set you free? Is that is that what you're saying? You're, that you don't.
0: Well, it, the the. the to be more precise, yes, yeah. The the the, the 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 most difficult part of the question is, I believe that Jesus will set us free. Okay, but the reality is, I don't know what all He has to set us free from. Right. And some of these things are so core to my life, my identity, my family, my career, my church, my faith my self understanding that the stakes of being wrong about it are so high that it's a, that there's this weird internal battle between, you know, I think this is true, but part of me wants it to be true because I'm just so angry at the current system. And part Uh of me wants it not to be true because the disruption Uh, and pain is inconceivable that I don't know um, how much I can trust what I think is true. And especially when, I mean, this is why I'm socializing with you guys, because I know you both want the kingdom of God more than anything else. Um, But it is the longing and the terror are both so deep that they're, it's almost hard to tell them apart, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah.
1: Ernie, can I ask you a question? Please. It seems to me that you haven't had very good examples of mentors, like... <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm sure there's some positive models and it seems like your overall experience is pretty huge. And, here, yeah, yeah,
0: and here's the weirdest thing about my life, Ted. I know many people who have suffered horrible evil at the hands of bad men. Okay? And I don't want to commit my suffering anywhere, else. But I, in my life, bizarrely, have suffered strange evil at the hands of good men and women. And I don't know why that is, but my hypothesis is that I am slightly autistic. And therefore I pay attention to what people say rather than what they do. And when people say, well, the most important thing is to follow Jesus and obey the Bible, I just try and do that. And I get myself into all sorts of trouble. (laughs) And for whatever reason, I seem to always end up finding the point of shame and asking the question that everyone has kind of agreed not to ask. And so that is why, you know, I've been discipled by some amazing godly men. That I love, but those that I have walked with for a period of time, I always, I don't know why or how, hit this point. I mean, you probably understand this as well as I do. Where in order for me to keep doing what I think God is calling me to do, which aligns with everything I've been told about what God has wants us to do, I have to break some unwritten rule.
1: May I ask another question?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. How was it with your parents growing up? Did it start there or was that?
0: (laughs) Uh, We have have a saying in Indian culture, you know, American adolescence is from 13 to 21. Indian adolescence is from 23 to 31. You can't really Mm -hmm. start individuating and self-differentiating until you are financially independent. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I have had more you, conflict
1: in the last up. five
0: years. Where were you? I grew up in Rochelle, Chicago, Northern Illinois.
1: Okay, to the extent so I grew
0: up, I'm always very cautious with using that phrase. Your parents? my parents? Parents, both godly Christian people, loved the Lord, taught us to love the Lord, prayed for us. Like I said, I have suffered more bizarre pain at the hands of good people.
1: So, 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 but but your parents immigrated over, and you were born here and raised in Chicago. Correct. So you were an Indian American, bicultural. Suff- I mean, experiencing all that you know, the two cultures. Yeah. Um, and you, and what you said is basically in the Indian culture, you're very much treated like a child until you're financially independent.
0: Well, it's not even that. It's just that your whole self, it's not even how you're treated. It's that uh, in, in, you know, in Indian culture, as in traditional Western, you know, Eastern cultures and traditional cultures really, until you know, say the Reformation, the sense was that your primary identity comes from being part of the group and your primary responsibility and so to think of yourself as anything other than that it is literally unthinkable it's not supposed to be presented yeah. it's in, it it is it, it, that it's inconceivable
1: yeah and and then there's huge social factors primarily unseen that reinforce that and if you if you right. have this in yeah. you have this um that you don't belong because you're de- um and in one way, you're different in the way your mind works very unique um you're gonna continually be searching for that, and you have to basically stop being yourself in order to so You're continual uh, in order to be accepted so to be part of the so so you're in this continual identity crisis you know of I have to deny who I am, wow.
0: Yeah, but and here's the thing, right? I look at myself as a canary in the coal mine, like I am just functional enough to be aware of how dysfunctional I am, right? Because I live in this bicultural world where I was growing up, like pretty much everything I did was wrong by somebody's standards, and it wasn't obvious to me what the right answer was. Like I'm disagreeing with my parents, you know, my Western friends would say, well, it's obvious you should just you with your parents and do what you want, right? And my parents' generation would be, well, it's obvious you should ignore what you want and do what your parents want. It's like, well, whatever way I do it, somebody's wrong. (laughs) And I'm wrong by somebody's standards. But, you know, I'm therefore perhaps more attuned and aware. I mean, you describe how that was like for me. I think it's like that for all of us. It's just because I'm at the boundary layer, I can see it.
1: Uh, you're, you're, I mean, that's
0: the, that's the horrifying insight that I'm wrestling with.
1: Well, you're, you're describing, um, very, very similar to, okay. To me, it sounds quite similar mm-hmm. to conversations I've had with my son, Victor, right now that we're walking through, you know, he's very sensitive young man. Um, you know and you see the discrepancies between what people say and what they do and you know the sense of ju- of of the sense of right right and righteousness and justice that we all have as a child but then most of us you know have experiences and we have some sort of mechanism to reconcile the two okay they said that but you know, I've got to understand the whole consequence and, you know, not, you know, tone it down a little. And I don't know if that's, and and, and like you, and in this case, Victor, um, aren't able to use that tone down piece. <laughs> so maybe that's a good thing, you know, but it's also a very painful thing. I have I have something for you, Ernie. Did I lose you?
0: Sorry, didn't quite catch that last sentence.
1: I said I have. Oh, did you not ca- catch what I said about the, the ability to tone things down, the sense of righteousness that we all have, and like you.
0: Yeah, no, I got that.
1: Okay, I was gonna okay. say. Um, you know, I was saying this about myself and about Victor, and I, I want to say this to you. You know, you may or may not be somewhere on the autistics, but uh, just because Elijah was bipolar doesn't mean he wasn't a prophet. prophet. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think the Lord made you the way you are specifically. Who's to say? I mean, it, you know, like like one of the reasons we chose to school our kids is because we saw that Anna was quite different, and we knew that we were different, and we saw her extremely, what could be labeled as ADD or ADHD, just extremely uh, active. And you know, the boss was just it's not that she's wrong. We didn't want her to get labeled. She's she just thinks differently and doesn't fit into the schooling box so we wanted to avoid all that and not have to worry about it and so instead of yeah it's not our kid is messed up it's the educational system that's incomplete so we just homeschooled her and uh, I think you know yeah in the pudding
0: yeah (laughs) I mean it's a good it's a good segue I was explaining this to my son after he had a bad encounter with a math exam in a strange context And he was kind of blaming himself. Sorry. I mean, Uh, yeah.
1: Going or No, no, that's super cool. There's so many examples of that. I mean, you know.
0: uh... Let me me finish my point. Sorry. Uh, what, What I said was that, you know, most people respond in one of two buckets. Either they blame themselves or they blame the system. I blame myself for not having fixed the system. And this is the where it gets, you know, the line between healthy and unhealthy responsibility, right? If you are just part of the system, then you have no responsibility. The emperor decided, the village chiefs decided, the ancestors decided, end of the story. If you're a Western individual, it's like, well, hey, they're screwed, they're wrong, I'm going to do the right thing for myself. I am trapped between the two. And to say, well, okay... I am not an autonomous individual. My behaviors, my beliefs, my every action is deeply influenced by the culture and the institutions around me. So if I really am serious about becoming everything Christ wants me to be, I not only have to redeem the things under my immediate control, I have to work with him to redeem everything around me and this is where this weird, um, I guess it's been called a messianic complex is. It's like, okay, you know, I'm not actually trying to fix the world. I'm just trying to fix myself. I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to transform my ideas, my feelings, my behaviors, so I can actually do what looks like Jesus. But in the process, I feel like I'm in this weird God-given position where, to do that, I have to actually work with him to redeem all the institutions to which I belong. And most of the institutions uh, do not think they need to be redeemed. (laughs) And that creates a deep angst on both sides. So let me just kind of close the loop on this. The The basic premise I'm making, uh, the argument I'm making, to the extent I'm trying to make an argument, is that we have built a lot of institutions around what I would call a status game. And the status game was about being an insider and about being competent across certain very narrowly defined skills that are non-threatening to the status quo and even sustain the status quo. Uh, Whether it's theological education or elite universities or capitalism, or we can go down the list. And it, it's it's not just that it's infected the church, the church invented it, um, and the world has copied us. And if we're gonna fix this,
1: well, we the, 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 need these to were, repent. These systems were around way before Pentecost.
0: Sure. I'm specifically talking about the context of Western civilization where we, the church, the monastic movement, the Roman Catholic church, our spiritual fathers whom I honor and love and am deeply grateful for. They designed this system sometimes with the help of the Holy spirit. And many of these things really are golden serpents, right? They were exactly God's provision to save people from perishing at that time. But that. Being that no. it's not really their fault for doing that. They were doing exactly what God told them to do. But my concern, I guess my critique, is that we've allowed these things to become idols that we trust instead of God himself. John and I don't yeah. know how deep you go. Some... Yeah. Sorry John, you've been really quiet. <laughs> Well, I've been listening to what you've been saying and thinking about
2: what you've been, i uh, been talking about and um, I'm not sure what I think right now. I've, I'm maybe a little more confused than when I first came into the conversation. Um, <laughs> so my work has been done <laughs> to be, to be more honest than, than uh, uh, yeah. So I'm, you know. Okay, so the the whole question stirred up in me a lot of, a lot of things about, um, you know, how much how perceptive people are about what they really are doing and what they really carry. What are the motivations that people have? What are the motivations of people groups? I get the picture of what you're saying that that um, westerners may be in selfishness may be rooted in solitary, you know, in, in individuals, but in in the eastern part there's there's a another issue where large groups of people or castes, if you will um, are are um, the, the goal is to get the advantage for themselves and keep it um, and you know just how much can we escape that whole the how can we escape what's literally strapped to us and i think that i think that one thing you said ted which which struck me was. Preferring one another, uh, that doesn't erase our tendency to be selfish, but it does give us a give us actions that we can take that that uh, that are beyond our own needs, wants, desires, and ideas. Um, and you know, I was thinking, I was also thinking about Ernie, what you said about the uh, about having a slight ma- measure of autism or something like that and how that would um you know you seemed to you said that no matter what you did you always seemed to come up if if i'm not mistaken whatever you tried to do right somehow ended well that was from I'll, being bicultural
0: being, mm-hmm, being bicultural right. meant that everything i did was wrong by somebody's culture being autistic meant that i didn't yeah. care as much
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, mean uh, you didn't.
2: in some ways
1: uh,
0: you cared I, 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 I was just oblivious to how much social disapproval yeah. I was earning,
1: right, Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. But in some Mostly ways but in Ernie, some ways you cared even more,
2: mhm, uh-huh. right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: let me just say I, I gotta go get lunch for the kids. Let me just wrap up two points. Yeah. one sure. is that um, Uh, one of the most bizarre things God has taught me over this journey is that it's actually more important for people to repent than for them to confess, which always Mm. struck me as backwards. But the Uh reality is, is that um, I've been reading the Rick Joyner series. And he talks about how if you destroy the works of the devil and don't plant something better in its place, you make it 10 times worse. Mm. And so the real answer is that, okay, let's not try to figure out what other people are doing wrong. What can we do right? What is the right uh-huh. thing that we can do? Mm. Um, and then the, the, the key to this, I think, uh, you've always heard of the golden rule. Uh, some people also talk about the platinum rule uh, or even the diamond rule. The platinum rule is Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of what it means, I've been looking at what I call the ruby rule, which is I will love the other as Christ has loved me. And, you know, part of this makes me romantic for the days of the Catholic Church when it was all one big Christendom. But the way they did that was by anathemizing everyone outside those really tight boundaries. Yeah. And so there was always an other. And the question is, well, if we're, so it seems like the only way out is we have to love the other precisely the people we least want to be identified with in fact, the very people we define ourselves as not being, we have to love them with the same sacrificial missionary love that Jesus did. Yes. And the horrible thing about is that it's recursive. Because once you start loving that other, then you start hating the others who other them, and you have to go through the process all over again. Yes. And um, I have some theories about where it ends, but this is the – So this is the the thing that I am carrying, is what does it mean to build something that implicitly repudiates everything that we have uh, accidentally inherited that is not of the kingdom of God, and do it in a spirit that is precisely loving the thing that I find the hardest to love? Hmm.
2: All right, thank you for
0: this therapy session. Thank you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Thank you both. Good to talk with you both.